WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining me today is Professor Lori Pollock from the university's Department of Computer and Information Sciences. And we've written out a nice long introduction of Lori that you can find out at our website, www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. I'll just tell you that one of the reasons we've picked Lori out to come and talk to you early on in the, the series of shows is that she's one of these faculty members who manages to teach a technical subject, do really involved research in a technical subject. She's recognized by her peers nationally in a technical subject, yet she manages to put a human face on the, on the uh, technical subjects that she covers. Some of her students have told me that she really encourages them actively to try and figure out how they can apply their technical skills to make the world a better place. Lori, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's great to have you here. One of the things you're involved with, I know I've been to a couple of meetings that uh, you've led on this subject, is getting more computer science into the curriculum in the high schools. Yes. Uh, I've um, just, uh, we've just recently been awarded a grant to work on this for the state of Delaware as part of the CS10K project. Uh, the National Science Foundation is got a mission to um, bring to bring uh, 10,000 computer science teachers into the high schools. That's an interesting project. Why is it important to get computer science into the high school curriculum, do you think? Uh, well, computer science is a subject where it helps people learn problem solving, uh, helps them to do high-level abstraction kind of thinking, and um, it is basically making an impact on almost everything we all do today. So it's more than just throwing code at a problem? Yes, absolutely. It's a lot of just how do you solve a problem with critical thinking? Uh, and how do you abstract away the details of the problem to understand it? Often uh, uh, agencies such as financial agencies will hire computer science students and they're not doing computer science, per se, in terms of programming at all on the job. They're hired for their problem-solving skills. Interesting. So they end up being able to do project management kinds of roles, analysis of, of different kinds of problems that may or may not actually result in computer programs being written. That's correct. It's uh, decision-making and problem-solving. One of the other things I think is interesting is that you also have done a fair amount of research and support of um, a discipline that's referred to as software engineering, sort of trying to bring some of the principles of engineering to software. Why is that an important thing for students to be interested in? Uh, Software engineering um, is really the, so you have to think about software today is um, millions of lines of code. And most of um, software engineering is about dealing with those millions, very, very large, complex applications of today. Um, it's not working with a hundred-line program where it's a lot easier to do a lot of different um, problem solving. 
um, with a million-line program, you have to deal mostly with maintaining that software, which means finding where might there be a problem in that software, or if you want to add a new feature to that software, how do I add the feature? Uh, where does that occur? Um, and that the whole idea of the scale of that, of complexity and size, uh, has really brought about the idea of software engineering. So um, it's the engineering of very large software. One of the things I think must make that so difficult is you, you're mentioning projects that have millions of lines of code. No one person has written that code, have they? That's correct. So you have lots of people involved, and of, most of software engineering research is directed towards trying to build better tools for the software engineer so that they can do their job more effectively, and eventually you get better software. You have less bugs. You, you, know, you experience less of those lovely ma- error messages that you often experience when you're using software. Now, you were telling me that I think you're involved with an, is an NSF grant that's looking at the green implications of certain software engineering techniques. Yes, so we have, I'm uh, working with two colleagues uh, on that project, and and what we're doing is we're looking at, so people think of software obviously takes power. You think of large data centers. They build power plants just for large data centers. Um, the often what is, ha- and then you have the other uh, side of it where you have software being run on a small uh, phone or something that uses a battery and you worry about your battery life. Um, so there's been a lot of work on trying to make the hardware more energy efficient. There's been work on uh, making the system software, the lower level software, more energy efficient. What we're working on is trying to see how feasible it is for the software engineer, the person who's actually write, written the software and maintaining the software, how can they make the software more energy efficient? Wow. I mean, I don't think that a lot of people think of that. That I mean, that part of the development of a software project or the part of a shopping system online or whatever, I mean, you've got to be looking at things like that with the energy consumption and, and, and uh, just how it interacts with all, the amount of hardware it needs and all that kind of thing. Most people, when they develop software, are worried about, is it functioning correctly? That's like the number one um, goal. And and then is it functioning at a level where people are going to be happy with how fast it interacts with them? Uh, people don't like to wait on their software. Um, no one likes to wait on software. So they're usually the two number one or the the two main qualities. What we're now looking at is uh, there's an, another quality of power energy. One of the things that some of the students I have in my classes have told me is that the classes that you and Terry Harvey teach about game development and software development using the XO laptops are just amazing classes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those? And first of all, maybe you should tell us what the XO laptop is. So the XO laptop is a, a little looks almost like a toy, but it's a very powerful machine. It's a laptop that was built uh, by some folks at MIT as part of a goal of having one laptop per child uh, across the world. Uh, And so they built these laptops to be um, 
some some forms of them are actually cranked instead of electricity because of where they're being deployed. So people can actually turn the crank to recharge the battery. Yes, that's correct. And and so these ha- the goal was to have these deployed in all over the world in various uh, third world countries in particular, and um, be able to provide computing and access. Uh, they do have network on them, so you can provide internet with them if you can create the communications for that. Um, so our project is there. there is a school in Chester, Pennsylvania, that was uh, had many of these donated, 1,200 of these donated to them. And so we thought that was a great opportunity to do some service learning uh, for computer science students. And so we developed, um, Terry Harvey and I developed a service learning course that we've taught four or five times now, um, where we team up computer science students with uh, teams of middle school teachers at the school. school, And our, uh, they, the teacher is the client. Uh, so they're learning software engineering for a real client, and the ultimate client is the students. So they usually start the semester going into the class of students, young students, and watching them play the games from the semester before, and they quickly realize the implications of bad software. Um, so when those games don't work or they do something that uh, frustrates the children, they realize, oh, I need to make better software. Uh, so they see it firsthand. Um, and then they go on to, to de- design um, a new game, a learning game. So sometimes they're um, teaching fractions, for instance. Uh, what are the different kinds of ways you could teach fractions and skills? Uh, and they work with the teachers to get feedback. So it's a very much a software engineering course for our students, but it's very much service learning for these teachers. Now, we bring these teachers in during the summer for a workshop um, as professional development for them and, and uh, um, go on from there. How do our students, how do the UD students react to this? I mean, I think you were telling me that they come in going, oh, goody, we're going to get to write computer games. And yes. Then, and when they leave, they have a, a totally different perspective. That's right. It's actually kind of amusing. <laughs> they come in often uh, saying, oh, we're going to write video games in this class. And they are writing games in the class. But what's interesting is to watch the transformation where they realize they are actually providing a service to someone. Uh, and they start worrying about, is this a game that a child is going to want to play? Is this a game that a girl is going to want to play? Um, not all boys playing these games. And it's interesting throughout the semester to watch the questions that get at. It's a very interactive class. There's a lot of critique in the class. There's a lot of presentations in the class. And, and it's fun to watch the questions that start getting asked in the beginning of the semester, they're they're laughing at me because I'm saying, is a girl going to want to play that game? And they're like, oh, who cares? And by the end of the semester, they're telling each other, asking each other, I don't think the girl's going to want to play that game. <laughs> so it's it's fun to watch there. And then they get concerned about, or is the student going to get frustrated with how slow it is on these machines? And so they work on making it... Uh, faster. So for them, it's also, this is a very unique kind of platform to program. And so it's also, they have to be concerned about things they've never had to be concerned about when they program in other environments. 
think one of the things you were telling me is that they also meet some of the students, some of these fifth, sixth, seventh grade students face to face. I bet that's eye opening for them as well. Oh, definitely. Yes. So this this school is a uh, in a high poverty, low income area. And um, I think it's eye awakening for them to meet these students and talk to these students and hear their stories of their lives. And uh, it's a uh, definitely makes an impact. Have other people contacted you or, or Terry about doing these kinds of projects besides the Chester County schools? Uh, yes. So that's actually how we ended up in Haiti. <laughs> yes. Um, so we, uh, I was at a conference and met a woman who had been, was starting to work with some nonprofits in Haiti that um, they ha- there were th- some schools in Haiti that had these same laptops deployed to them. And they found that we had already had an entire class on them. We had students who knew how to program them. We knew students who knew how to teach Scratch on them. And so uh, they contacted us and asked us if we invited us to go along on this trip with them. Cool. Well, why don't we take a little break? And then when we come back from the break, you can tell us all about your trip to Haiti. Okay, great. All right, you're listening to Campus Voices here on WVUD and WVUD HD1, Newark. In the weeks ahead, WVUD will formally announce its next big concert event. This will be an historic show in a location fit for royalty. Tickets will go fast to see one of the bigger bands that this area has to offer in an extremely intimate setting. We'd love to share more information with you, but we need to keep things on the down low for now. But whatever the case, we don't want you to get the blues, so we will announce full details very soon. For now, trust us that you'll want to clear November 8th on your calendar and stay tuned to 91.3 FM WVUD for more details. Hey, UD sports fans, do you like the big hits? Here comes Matane. He is hit hard. He is knocked down by Matt Markarell, and he is slow to get up. Do you like the biggest plays? Devlin steps back, fires, looking in the end zone. He's got Tommy Crosby, and then it's complete and brought in for a touchdown for the hands. Then be sure to listen to 91.3 WVUD for University of Delaware Sports. And it's going to be intercepted at the one-yard line by Tyrone Grant. Catch Delaware football Saturday, September 8th, as the Route 1 rivalry continues against Dell State. Coverage on WVUD begins at 3 p.m. Stephen, I've heard you've made Bob time even better. That's right. Starting with Rockabilly Ridge with Michael Ace every final Saturday of the month at 8 a.m., followed by a little bit of Beatlemania at 9 a.m. That sounds really great. But that's not all. On every first Saturday at 9 a.m., we present Bob Time's Club Baby Grand segment, showcasing the best Wilmington jazz from the past and the present. And don't forget to tell your listeners about the Legends of Wilmington Jazz at 7 a.m. every second Saturday of the month, followed by Clifford's Corner at 8 a.m. as you and your host Larry Williams visit with guests from Wilmington's jazz community. Every Saturday morning on Bop Time from 6 to 10 a.m., We present the music like no one else because Because music is the soundtrack of our lives. Okay, even Stephen, I'll be sure to tune in to Bob Time starting bright and early at 6 a.m. on Saturdays. That's for sure. 
And now, back to Campus Voices on WVUD and WVUD HD1, Newark. And we are back with Professor Lori Pollock from the University of Delaware's Computer Science Department. And just before the break, she was starting to tell us about how she got involved in a trip to Haiti. Tell us all about it. How did you? What did you find down there? I mean, did, were you in Port-au-Prince, and in, in, where the area that was struck by the earthquake, or where were you? What were conditions like? What were the students like? I, I mean, it's just so cool. <laughs> okay, actually, we were in the northern part of Haiti, which had not been affected at all by any uh, earthquakes. Uh, so we were just seeing what their normal state of life was. Um, the we worked with. Um, two different nonprofit organizations. There's one called Mothering Across Continents, and their goal is to empower young women. Uh, They believe that if you empower the women to change the way things are in their communities, that it will propagate. Uh, And then the other organization is Wave Place Foundation, and they are the ones who had actually gotten the laptops They've gotten the XL laptops out. They've done that all throughout the Caribbean, I think. Yes, exactly. Yes. And and so what we did when we went down there, I went with a group. uh, There was an undergraduate and a graduate student from University of Delaware and myself. And then the rest of the people were part of uh, a network of schools, actually, colleges on the East Coast called STARS Alliance. And um, it stands for Students and Technology and Academia Research and Service. And um, so they were from all different schools. Some of them had never met before we got on the trip. Uh, what we did was we spent uh, a week there. Actually, there were two weeks. There were two different trips. We were on the one, one of those week trips. And um, we would spend time with training these young women uh, and that in the mornings. And then we would go out to the actual schools. There were three different schools that had these laptops uh, out in these remote areas take about an hour to get there um, and we would sh- show them then how to teach the children uh, and we were teaching scratch scratch is a programming interface to teach actually it's used to teach introductory uh, programming to people from middle school all the way through introductory programming in college so you've got these kids out in haiti learning basic computer programming Yes, yes. They wow. were developing uh, with Scratch. It's a very a much of a drag and drop kind of create your program, and 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 it it starts with some character on a screen, um, and you program the character to do things. You can program stories. You can uh, program games uh, with them. Uh, there's quite a lot. Scratch was also developed by someone at uh, MIT. Uh, you can upload your game your products uh, to a website for Scratch in the end when you're finished. So uh, one of the really cool things that we did was we did actually bring internet to the schools by setting up some um, some communications through a laptop so that they could actually see their, their products get uploaded uh, to share with the world. Um, so it it was. It's a way to bring computational thinking to these kind of people, so they can do some problem-solving kinds of, of um, learning. Um, and it's a way of empowering these these women are are teaching this. They're not the teachers. They're actually teaching in an after-school kind of environment. Wow, what you were telling me? There's something interesting about 
the schools being the only place in the community that have certain resources that everybody in the town wants to use. Right. So the schools, these schools are in very remote areas. They're the only place that the people in the village, I would call, can come and get electricity and water and drinking water. And so you will see a well there um, and... And you'll see a lot of cell phones plugged to every single plug in the school. <laughs> yes. I think that's pretty funny. Well, I think, though, it, one of the things I am interested in is I didn't realize this until recently, that the funding for a lot of these kinds of things is coming from NSF. We think, or some of the yes. funding is. We think of NSF as, you know, funding, you know, prominent research projects, that kind of thing. But it's it's interesting to me that that the work that you and Terry and the Stars Alliance are doing is also getting some funding from NSF. Yes, yeah, so they're they are funding uh, programs. Uh, on com- well, first of all, computer science education. Um, so many disciplines have had years and years of research in how should you teach that subject. Uh, there's not a lot on how you should teach computer science at various levels. Um, so they fund a lot of, of research on that. That's what this um, CE21, Computer Education for the 21st Century, is funding the CS10K project. Um, the, uh, the XO project is being funded by a program called Broadening Participation in Computing. So they're concerned with getting diversity in teaching, in computing, in the creation of computing. And also looking for diversity from the people who are thinking about applying computing to a problem. Yes. Yeah, very interesting. Right. Are you going back to Haiti? Um, I We are talking about planning some kind of pr- uh, spring break. Oh, wait, maybe we should of... tell your husband to turn the radio off if you're about to announce your plans to go and yes. he doesn't know yet. <laughs> he, <laughs> hopefully he's not listening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, hoping to do some kind of a spring break service learning trip, which would take students who have been in that service learning class this fall, um, those who are interested on the trip, again with students from the rest of the schools of the Stars Alliance. The goal is to try to make their Internet more stable and to go back and do some more training of the Scratch. We we believe that the, if the children can build Scratch stories using this interface, this programming interface, they could tell stories about some of the problems in their community and and maybe get people to listen. How did the American students react to being in Haiti? I think they started in shock as they got off the airplane and headed to the uh, hotel. Um, and then... Um, I think they realized they could really have an impact with their technical skills. That's awesome. Now, we only have a few minutes left, and another topic that I think is very important to you, and it's tied in with this project in Haiti, too. As you said, part of the goal is to empower these young women in the after-school care programs to be able to teach some things to the students. I know you're very interested in, in the role of women in technology and are active in the annual Grace Hopper celebrations of women in computing and, and, and that kind of thing. I mean, what's, what is the current role of women in computer science right now? 
Um, there are very few young women going into computer science right now. There's been a huge decline uh, in the percent of women in in uh, enrolling in AP exams, enrolling in um, the majors in college. Um, and what's interesting is other sciences are staying the same or going up. Um, and so there's a concern. And there's a lot. There's been a lot of uh, research on trying to figure out why that has happened. Uh, back in the 1980s, you would see almost half and half men and women. And now, I've gone into classes where I have one woman in my class. In my computer science class, I'm teaching this term. I've got one woman who's a computer science major. Right. And now I think I've got 20 guys who are computer science majors. Yes. So there's a lot of um, work on trying to reverse that, and some the work that's being done at the middle high school level has to do with um, dispelling the myths uh, in the media and um, talking to parents and guidance counselors on what is a computer science career, what does it really entail, um, making people realize that it's not just programming in a room with no windows, um, that there are there's lots of careers that involve lots of social impacts. There's a lot. Computing is affecting all kinds of things in the world, and you can really make an impact in, with a career in technology. Um, at the college level, there's a lot of work being done on redoing the way the uh, computer science is introduced to students, the introductory courses. Um, Maria Clave at uh, Harvey Mudd College has uh, written some really good articles on some things people can do in the first levels of, of computing courses in the co at the college level. So there are now some resources out there to some talking points for parents and um, guidance counselors. That sort of dovetails back into what we were talking about at the beginning of the interview, that is the CS10K Project where you're know, getting out into the schools and getting more awareness of computer science and getting more teachers um, able to teach it out in the schools. Uh, right, right. That's and, exactly right. And to try and get a more diverse population interested in the yes. topic. So they've completely been they've been working. Uh, there's been a group working to redo the AP exam in computer science to be what they're calling CS principles now. Um, and not tied to a specific computing language. It's not tied to a particular language. It doesn't involve all coding. Um, it involves a lot of, of different kinds of activities. Uh, there's something called CS Unplugged, which is teaching concepts of computer science without using a computer at all. Thank you very much for joining us, Lori. Thank you for inviting me again. Well, it's been very it's been fun great. talking to you, and Hope everybody tunes in again next week for another episode of Campus Voices. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices.
We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at WVUD.org. Thank you.